Yeah, so uh, I'm ready. Nick, are you ready? I'm ready. It's good to okay. be back. <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, everyone, welcome to On the Same Page. My co-host, uh, Nick, and you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Eyes on Nick. And we are now making our way through the power of regret. Right, how looking backward moves us forward. I always do like my um, Wheel of Fortune like showcase every time you know I talk about the title of the book. You you yeah. all <laughs> see it, but hopefully you know. agree. <laughs> we're re- I thought we were recording this one. Hmm? I thought we were recording this one. It should be no, a video, right? no. I don't do my haircut till Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That honestly just makes me feel a little bit better today. So we're cool. <laughs> Good. Yeah, Let me do my so... stretch. Let me be ugly. <laughs> yeah, so you all will get a recorded episode at some point, but it definitely will not be this one. <laughs> That's wild outside. <laughs> oh, he was trying to give you all the nice backdrop, you know, with, with the, know, the greenery like... and the birds chirping. You know, no, not today. Like no, I'm going to have to try again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So this book is by Daniel Pink. And listen, I really like this book so far. Um, yeah. I, that's what what are you well what are your thoughts so far on the book Nick? um i enjoy that there are so many um narratives from like actual people mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. oftentimes in novels we get research studies which are good because like they're more generalizable which i'll talk a little bit about once we get to like the graphs in here but i also appreciated that we got to see like name age gender Mm -hmm. and a direct quote um and i know like that type of stuff is de-identified on purpose but just for the book i think it adds just like a little more connection for the reader yes uh on a side note uh, as soon as I started seeing the charts and graphs and the, the all of that stuff, I knew instantly you would be in love with those pages. Yeah. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so part one is about regret, reclaim. Um, if you are not sure what the book is about, it essentially is going to walk us through what regret is, how we have learned about it, what we need to unlearn, and then what we need to relearn so that we can use it as a tool instead of a weapon that uh, consistently leads to our own self-sabotaging. So the first chapter says, uh, the title is The Life-Thwarting Nonsense of No Regrets. Um, I'll read this little part here. It says that regret is not dangerous or abnormal a deviation from the steady path to happiness. It is healthy and universal, an integral part of being human. Regret is also valuable. It clarifies, it instructs. Done right, it needn't drag us down. It can lift us up. So I think with that, um, 
Nick, why don't you take us through the first chapter? Where did my notes start? Okay, so I started, I think uh, the introduction was just him dogging the idea that we can live life with no regrets. So mm-hmm. definitely appreciated that. Um, I think that's uh, kind of a little delusional. Just a, mm-hmm. just a tiny bit. But um, I appreciate it on page eight where he did a little shift and he was like, regret is also valuable. It clarifies, instructs, and done right. It needn't drag us down. It could lift us up. So I think yes. that was the shift where he was uh, introducing the other side of the conversation that while some people try to ignore regret, that's wrong. But then also when you do have regret to utilize the energy that comes from it to mm-hmm. propel you forward instead of hold you back. Um, and I and then I said, this is important to remember because just in general, regret has a negative connotation. Like when you hear it most of the time, people's minds go towards the negative scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that it was, I thought this was a good introduction. Um, on page 13, he says, the purpose of this book is to reclaim, reclaim regret as an indispensable emotion and to show you how to use its many strengths to make better decisions, perform better at work and school and bring greater meaning to your life. Like, I, I remember that when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, okay. Like, I do see regret as a tool, and I did so before diving into the book. But as we have started making our way through the book, I'm like, wow, like, okay. You can really shift your perspective on something and use that to your benefit instead of uh, dwelling on it and allowing it to drag you down. Um, and I didn't recognize that there was so much research uh, uh, into regret and, you know, the different ways that it impacts us psychologically, socioeconomic status, uh, academically. Um, I mean, it's just so many different ways that they reveal how regret, uh, leads us to be interconnected, um, in our grief. So, yeah, yeah uh, I, I definitely, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that down really quick just because mm-hmm. that connects to something I have to say a little bit later, but I don't want to like just hop off through chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're interested and you're um, a book nerd or a literature nerd, those are kind of two of the same things, right? But um, they have a website <laughs> called the World Regret Survey, where you can go and read the categorized surveys of 4,489 people at the time of publishing. Uh, you can find that at www.worldregretsurvey.com. Uh, It has collected more than 16,000 regrets from people in 105 countries. Uh, And he's analyzed those texts, uh, the text of those responses, and also conducted follow-up interviews with more than 100 of those people who have submitted regrets. And if you purchase the book, uh, in between the chapters as well as throughout the text, you actually get to read the... uh, the actual responses from the participants of the survey. 
and you get to see, like Nick said, um, you get to see like gender, um, their age, where they're from. And probably one of the things that we don't really think about with regret is that depending on your demographic, right? So your age, your location, your health status, your religion, um, your gender, what, you know, what I may experience as regret being from, uh, you know, a city in Kentucky and what Nick may feel being in Maryland could be different, but they could also be the same because we share a love of academia uh, or we share a love of reading. However, somebody who is 60 years old that used to live in Kentucky now lives in California may share a similar regret as me, um, but their regret is going to be based on the fact that they didn't do something when they were younger and minds may be that maybe I didn't take full advantage of it in the now. So it's just very interesting as we continue to, you know, go through the chapters. Um, yeah, that was all that I really had for um, chapter one. I have marked where he talks about uh, hitting the reset button, <clears throat> but I did not write down the page number. So, Okay. Well, <laughs> I say I'll give you a moment to flip through that because uh, <laughs> when I I'm actually gonna I'm gonna do a little insta poll just mm -hmm. because I'm curious. Um, mm -hmm. The quote: "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." Like I understand <laughs> I did, I did. it, but then <laughs> when I think of like commitment, consistency, the work that it takes to be successful, I'm mm -hmm. curious how other people would feel about that because I definitely could see some scenarios where it's better to put your eggs in one basket and then other situations where it is not. So I'm just, I just want to see where other people's minds are at with that one. Um, okay. And then uh, he said, Markowitz showed that instead of following this recipe, investors could reduce their risk and still produce healthy gains by diver diversifying. Mm -hmm. I think this just goes to show like one of the ways that you can use regret. So it's like regret essentially just gives you a data point to look at. And then you use that data to reduce risk and produce gains. So it's like a, yes. just a very simple equation. How can we reduce risk and increase gains? Yes. Um, and in this specific example, he was uh, using money. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, easy to relate to because like who wouldn't want to make a lot of money with little risk and mm -hmm. like have a lot of good gains mm -hmm. and then the other thing this was not like this page more for me was like oh that's cool like that could spark some thought and conversation the other one was that optimism is associated with better physical health i think that just stuck out to me because i'm getting more into holistic care mm -hmm. so like if like teaching people that if they take care of their physical body, that health will follow. Yes. Yes. Um, then there was a term in here and it, it matches well with um, regret, but this was something that I had to look up because I had never been introduced to it before, but it was called uh, stymie growth. I don't know if I'm pronouncing mm. that right, but S-T-Y-M-I-E. 
Mm-hmm. And it's essentially the growth that occurs when you overcome an obstacle that has been placed in your way. Mm-hmm. So kind of like the zone of proximal development, like you need some type of challenge in order to rise to that situation and grow and become successful. Yes. Yes. Um, then I, I think that also relates to, uh, he said, too much negative emotion is debilitating, but too little is also destructive. And I think that goes back to the delusional thing. And we kind of touched on that, even within the first novel, where we're like, we can't always look through the rose-colored glasses. Like, there has to be some moments of realism and planning and room for growth. Mm -hmm. So I just really appreciate the way that everything is laid out in the novel. One, because he lets you connect with other people first and then just gives you like helpful information. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Like, oh, that is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, oh yeah, you're good. Oh, you're right. Okay. then I um, I highlighted, not underlined, uh, like, so what is the importance of regret? And then he lays it out for us and says that and the three main areas to utilize regret is to make better decisions, perform better at work and school, and bring greater meaning to your own life. So it's like, like why mm-hmm. would this even be important to me? And it's like, well, this is why this would be important to you. Um, and then the the note that I wanted to connect to what you said earlier was when you said inter- interconnected in grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I just put a little box around that regret makes us human and that regret makes us better. Um, and I just, that goes back to the human connection that I think we discussed from the first novel as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I'm done. Um... <laughs> No, it was good. You, you surmised it very well. Uh, so we talked about the positive power of negative emotions, what Nick was explaining when he talked about uh, Harry Markowitz, who actually created the idea of diversifying your investments, is uh, the portfolio theory. Um, and so generally, where I've always heard, don't put all your eggs in one basket, um, like my grandmother used to talk about it, like your aspirations, like, you know, Um, If you say, oh, well, you know, for most young black kids, they want to go play sports. Um, You know, and you say, oh, I want to go to the NFL. They'd be like, oh, well, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, make sure you have a backup plan just in case something happens. You know, you could break a leg or something. Um, When I got into the workforce, I heard it because uh, I always had a 401k until now I have a pension. So in the 401k, you can diversify your portfolio, which is essentially every two weeks, every week, however you get paid, that money then gets distributed into um, the stock market electronically. And you can have uh, a um, a very conservative fund, which is where your money usually goes towards things that are not very risky. You can have like a moderate fund, which is where you have a blend of risk and no risk or little risk. 
And then you could have an aggressive fund, which is what usually like younger employees get. And that's where you just take all the risk. Your money is essentially set up to like it takes big hits up front. But then on the back end, um, you get a good return on your investment. Allegedly. By investing in a basket of stocks and not just one, you are able to broaden your bets across a variety of industries. Um, so you may not win big on every pick, but over time, you're going to make a lot more in the long run. Uh, and, and so this is where this idea by Markowitz comes from and that sometimes people would play it safe and just choose, let's say, like a General Motors or a Coca-Cola. Uh, and they dump all their money into that one. But then let's go back to remember Ford and um, the uh, the tire situation where the tires that Ford was getting from Firestone, the tread on the tires was uh, busting, people were dying, they were having serious injuries, vehicles are being totaled out. And then Ford and Firestone, their stock took a huge drop. So if you only had money and one or the other, then your stock took a big drop. But if you had spread out your investments to other large entities, um, then you would have still essentially been safe during that economic fallout. And so that's what that is talking about. And the author uses this point to say, you can spread your emotional capacity or what he calls a portfolio of emotions uh, into more of your positive emotions, um, like uh, love, pride, and awe, instead of spending so much time or spending so much of your portfolio on negative emotions like sadness, frustration, and shame. And his argument was that we usually overvalue one category and then undervalue the other. Uh, and that puts us uh, in, in a negative spin. The last thing that I wanted to say is that he lists out the way that we're going to go through the book, um, which are essentially the four deep structures of regret, they all fall into one of these four categories. So there is foundation regrets, uh, boldness regrets, moral regrets, and then connection regrets. And we will dig into these um, a little bit more as we get into part two of the book. Um, I think this pretty much wraps up chapter one. Uh, and Nick, if you're ready, I'm ready to move into chapter two. Yes. Okay. Uh, I uh, that ended that well. Yes. Uh, chapter two says, um, actually, you know what? I'm going to read one of these uh, passages. Um, I think I'll read this one from this 71-year-old uh, female from New Jersey. So you can kind of get an idea of like what we see as we end the chapters. It says, when I was a child, my mother would send me to a small local store for a few grocery items. I frequently would steal a candy bar when the grocer wasn't looking. That's bothered me for about 60 years. So that is um, a regret, you know, that this lady has dealt with, who is 71. Uh, she's dealt with that since she was about 11. Um, and there, there's usually like three or four regrets Um on the page as you end the chapter. So you start to get like an idea of what other people are experiencing. I mean, I have stolen stuff in my youth and uh, it's funny that I do still like think about that. That was actually the only time my dad ever had to give me a whooping was stealing from Walgreens. So. 
<laughs> All right, so chapter two is why regret makes us human. It says, in other words, the inability to feel regret in some sense, the apothesis of what the no regrets philosophy encourages wasn't an advantage. It was a sign of brain damage. Interestingly enough, this chapter has a lot of science in it, um, but it's blended in very well, like very, very well. Um, and what that little tidbit is stating is, as we're going to get into it, if you are unable to experience regret, you actually um, suffer from mental illness. <laughs> No, that was like, I was like, wow, uh, high regret. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, uh, for chapter two, mm -hmm. awesome mm -hmm. job for him to give a definition of what yes. regret actually is because it well, allows the audience to make sense more of the information yes. that's presented. I like that he put down different definitions from different specialties. Um, like there's a definition in here for scientists, theologians, and, or theologians and poets. Um, there's also one in here from like management theorists. Um, there's even one in here from like the dictionary. They're all swirling around one another, but still different you know and it just shows that nobody really has a concrete like full handle on exactly what regret is that was just so interesting um i think the one that i identified the most with was the management theorist and it says regret is created by a comparison between the actual outcome and that outcome that would have occurred had the decision maker made a different choice the only thing that I would change would be that instead of saying that would have occurred, I would say that may have occurred. And that's only because I'm jumping ahead because I know that we're about to talk about the time machine. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> well, um, I also, I appreciated that definition just because I like to link information to tools mm -hmm. that can like actually be used. So mm -hmm. I compared that definition to a gap analysis. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so essentially regret, <laughs> if not done on paper, mm -hmm. is like a useless gap analysis mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're just constantly going through everything like, well, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And it's like, you haven't written anything down. Now you have no idea what you just were ruminating on. Now you're just gonna start that process all over Mm -hmm. where you can just do a gap analysis, be like, okay, this is what happened. This is what I wanted to happen. What is the difference between where I'm at, where I want to be? And then you don't have to like give that much power to it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to save. I have one comment, but I think it'll make a little bit sense later in the book. But there is some kind of like conflicting information but not really I, I, i'll get to it later mick going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the author <laughs> no it's not the author it's just information in general it's like a, co a common phenomenon you'll run across in any field of study 
because you're okay. not supposed to only look for information that agrees with the point that you're making. So yes, this is how we conduct a scholarly argument. Wow. Okay. All right. Listen, Nick is uh, in the business of helping undergraduate and possibly graduate students um, write their papers. So if you have an upcoming paper, you can reach out to Nick on Instagram and or Twitter at Eyes on Nick. Uh, he knows so much about APA and MLA and I think just those two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what's that's what's taught nowadays, though. Like, I feel like anything else is gonna have to be like self-directed learning. Yeah, he's <laughs> got to go to the citation created thing. <laughs> All right. So, um, the time machine. Okay, I thought this was a excellent way to break down the way that we uh, utilize regret. So, he says that the process for regret begins with two abilities that are unique to humans that we can visit the past and the future in our heads. And then we can tell the story of something that never actually happened. Um, and he says that we are both seasoned time travelers and skilled fabulists. And so this is how we create regret. So here is uh, an actual entry that one of the people submitted. It says, I wish I had followed my desire to get a graduate degree in my chosen field instead of giving in to my dad's wishes and then dropping out of that program. My life would be on a different trajectory now. It would be more satisfying, fulfilling, and would have given me a greater sense of accomplishment. So when we break down this regret or this submission, there is discontent with the present. The writer of this mentally returns to the past decades earlier where she was a young woman um, contemplating her educational and professional path. Once she gets to the path, she negates what really happened, um, which was her giving in to her father's wishes. And then she does what she wants to do, which would be to enroll in the graduate program that she preferred. Then she gets um, back into the time machine and jumps forward where she has now reconfigured the past. And then the present that she encounters uh, is vastly different from the one that she left. And in this new world that she's created, she's satisfied, she's fulfilled, my girl is accomplished, you know, she's feeling the love and the sun and all of those things. It is amazing how we can sit and create these uh, fake scenarios in our head. Well, if I had went back and I had just done this one thing differently than my my current situation would be so much better. And I love how he breaks this down and that that is not true at all because life. <laughs> like when he put that there and I was like, wow, that is very accurate. I was like, okay, okay, sir, you might be onto something. Might be onto something. Yeah, so. Okay, uh, I, I broke that down a little easier. Step one was time travel, negate the past, contrast the present. Number two is to rewrite the events. Number three is your comparison. And then number four is that you place blame. So the alternate event um, or the alternative does not exist. I'm now living in the life that I wanna live. 
Yeah. No. Um, page 24. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of foreshadows what we'll see in the coming chapters as well. He said, the only emotion mentioned more often than regret was love. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to have like my little soapboxy moment and be like, people just love up on people. Like, it's an undervalued, <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's an undervalued emotion. I would have to look at the research for it, but the world needs more of that. And then he also said the emotion that participants said that they experienced the most was regret. However, mm-hmm. that was also the emotion they valued the most. And I think that goes into utilizing regret to propel you forward. I think that's where we can see that connection. Mm-hmm. Yes, I thought it was really good. I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, this was just, I like this chapter. It was nice and to the point and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the last sentence of the chapter too, because he, uh, again, because this is what I uh, circled in the first chapter, but just a little reminder, regret doesn't just make us human, it also makes us better. I like yes. the, like sometimes repetition is like, hey, remember, it makes you better. <laughs> yes, and one thing that I do want to bring up before we roll out of two and into three is that a lot of times people regret their inaction. And we'll get into that in the second part. They regret their inaction more than their actions. And most of the time when people don't act is because they're afraid of the possibility of uh, failure. So whatever that outcome could be. So there's a woman that he's talking about in chapters one and two, who is a well-known European uh, singer. And on her deathbed, she died when she was in her early 40s. And she tells her son, who is, um, actually, I'm sorry, she dies in her late 40s because we have to round up because she's 47. But she tells her son that every damn thing you do in this life, you have to pay for Um, She had a really strong addiction to um, alcohol and drugs and partying and all kinds of stuff. And it just like wrecked her body. But um, literally everything that you do in life can pay off for you. And that's the better way to look at this. Um, Because if you look at it the initial way that you have to pay for everything that you do in life, you'll always try to play it safe, which goes back to putting your eggs in one basket. But when you understand that everything uh, in life can actually pay off for you in some way, then you won't be as afraid to be aggressive in the market and um, use your portfolio. Um, Dang, that would have been a good time to bring up the pockets of possibility. But just hold that thought. I'm going to find a way to drop that little nugget in there. Um, so one from the end of chapter two is from a male who's 55 from West Virginia. He says, I regret nearly every big decision I have ever made. I apparently suck at the big decisions. Little decisions are a snap. So if you are a poor decision maker for whatever reason, there is somebody else out there that identifies with that. Um, and yeah, and you should get this book so that you could learn how not to live negatively in your regrets. 
Um, now we are rolling into chapter three, which I also like chapter three. Um, I learned some new terms here that I like. Um, but chapter three is at least and if onlys. And he says, two decades of research on counterfactual thinking exposes an oddity. Thoughts about the past that make us feel better are relatively rare, while thoughts that make us feel worse are exceedingly common. Are we all self-sabotaging masochists? Hmm. Are we? <laughs> well, no. It, like Statistically, it would not be possible. The skew would be atrocious if that was factual. It just True. doesn't seem likely. <laughs> yes. So he starts this one out talking about um, the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. So in this, uh, he really breaks down the study uh, that has really like occurred like year after year. Well, every four years, I should say. But uh, they look at the smiles of gold medalists, silver medalists, bronze medalists. And what they found is that the gold medalists and the bronze medalists almost have like that similar appearance of elation. It is usually the silver medalists, like time after time, that looks like, just way more unhappier than the <laughs> bronze medalists. <laughs> So if you know anything about this, second place is just the first loser. Okay. Oh my gosh. This <laughs> is a horrible way to think about it. Wait, I'll just okay, listen. That's listen. for like all the first place people. They're like, if you if you have to get first place, that's that's probably gonna help you think. Like if, Well, okay. Well listen, anytime I've ever showed up for a competition, my mindset has always been well. The first place winner is here. So y'all can fight over second and third, but number one is already here. The stage is already set. Yeah. Law of attraction. <laughs> so, so. Uh -oh. I go places, I'll be like, damn, that's going to be some competition right there. Mm -mm. Probably. Can oh, my mm -hmm. God. I will never forget the one time. I was in, sorry, I will hop off the soapbox, but it's super funny, I think. Okay. I was in okay. a wrestling match. You wrestled? You know, you, for one year. You oh, start the match with a handshake. Yes, yeah. yeah. As soon, as soon, totally and true. I mean as soon, like less than a second, as he shook my hand, I knew, I said, I'm not winning this match. Uh -uh. I, said, I, I did not work out enough to like he grabbed my hand and I felt <laughs> his muscle mass through my entire body. I was like, what the No, fuck? no, 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 no. Yeah. So you you mentally went to the place and was like, uh Oh no, I still I still showed up. I, I lost yeah. because it was uh I forget the term. It was actually my first tournament for the mm -hmm. separate uh wrestling style in in that style you're not supposed to crawl out of the mat that doesn't reset the match that mm. ends the match in the oh, okay. in the form that i did first that was like you go back to starting position if you yeah go off the mat so i was like okay you know what this is fucked up let me go back to starting position and they were like winner i was like damn y'all supposed to tell me that before the match 
Like, no, see, when I uh, when I was doing sport karate and I was fighting uh, on on the team and stuff, you no, know, we just always used to we used to look at everybody and you know size them up, and then uh, if there was somebody that you wanted to fight, you would go stand next to them. So because they would like count off like one two one two okay one, two. yeah so you would just position yourself so you and that person would fight excuse me and then if that person kept moving you just kept moving right along with them no you bring your ass right on back over here it's me and you you know <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah oh I miss those days now like my hips my knees like my ankles it's just. Oh, it's not the same. But no, folks, I'm not living in the land of regrets. No. It's a okay. happy memory. Yeah. It, it, no, it's a very happy memory. Um, happy memories. I did it for a long time. So, um, yes, yeah, so there is this whole study on, like, just the facial features. Is it, it, wow, I wonder if people have taken photos of us um, when we have received like our degrees or like if they have taken those photos from the college or ordered them and then use those in a study to look at different levels of happiness when you receive different types of degrees. But then you would be equating happiness as the representation of a smile, which- Well, but that's what they did in the study. Yeah. I uh, I had this thing where I'm like a really good critic of research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know no study is perfect. I'll just say that. But no, every every study does have some bias, and they talk about that. They talk about that where there's a thing of researcher bias, um, and so to kind of counteract that, they have algorithms with computer systems now. And so um, for some of these studies, they actually run the photos to the computer and the computer will pick up on different like facial cues um, mm-hmm. to try to remove some of that researcher bias. Um, so let's see, I had wrote down counterfactual thinking. I had never heard that before. Um, what this means is that what we are thinking uh, runs counter to the actual facts. Ta-da! It is a signature example of the imagination and creativity that stand at the intersection of thinking and feeling. And that comes from Neil Rose of Northwestern University. Oh, and Kai Epstude of the University of Groningen. Um, We're not going to at all you uh, in this discussion. There are a lot of like research puns happening today. Yeah, I'm, research excites <laughs> me. Uh, the other thing that stuck out to me within this chapter was on page 37, the paradox of pain and the pain of paradox. Um, mm. mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. this was funny to me because we are designed to seek pleasure over pain. So for if onlys to be our main source of like the counterfactual thinking was just like a a moment for me to be like, wow, that's that's like the opposite of what we're yes. designed to do. Yes. So that was can we uh, can we go back for a second? Yeah. Okay, because you said uh, if onlys. 
So uh, very quickly, so that you understand the the why this uh, chapter was named what it is, at least and if only, it deals with counterfactuals. So counterfactuals go in two directions, which are down and up. Uh, a downward counterfactual is when we contemplate how an alternative could have been worse. And they prompt us to say, at least. So an example given was, sure, I got a C plus on that exam, but at least I passed the course and didn't have to take it again. Those are the at least counterfactuals. The other version are if onlys, which obviously go upward. We imagine how things could have gone better. And so they make us say, if only, for example, if only I'd attended class more often and done all the reading, I'd have gotten a much better grade. So just wanted to provide the uh, listener with an understanding of uh, at least and if only. Ha, ha, ha. And this is uh, going back to the medal stuff. They say that the silver medalist, right, who is the first loser, feels that way because... <laughs> I don't agree with, with that term, but... It's, okay. it's, not, it's, it's not how I think now, but as, as an athlete, you know, that's what propels you to do better like oh i'm not about to be the first loser like i must get you know number one i must get to go you know whatever you got to tell yourself to to beat that other person out there but um the silver medalist usually has the um less enthusiastic reaction even though their medal is ranked higher than the bronze they were just so close to the goal that if only they had did this, if only they had studied a little bit more or worked out more, right? But the person who got the bronze medal, because uh, in most events after third place, they stop giving out medals and you get certificates or whatever. They say, well, at least I got a medal. You know, at least I came in third. Uh, and so there's a, a huge like shift in perspective um, when you are just close enough, um, I, I think actually we talked about this, just about when the teacher didn't round up the grade for you, and you were like eighty nine point five. Okay, so everybody remember that we had to talk about perspectives like thirty seconds ago, and so Nick is Nick is in the if only stage. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm in the 89.5? 89.5 stage? That's, that's the stage of it. Uh, it, it. If you had been taking my class, I would have rounded you up. You know, um, If you are an educator, I would love for you to weigh in. So when you have a student that is at the 0.5, because I remember like way back when, I don't want to date myself too much, way back when, we were told that if, if it's at 0.5, you can go up or down. Both of them will be right. Okay. Are, did, did you ever hear that? No? Four no. below, let it go. Five and above, give it a show. That's, that oh, is that's the rounding that, rule. That's, that sounds that's, like, that's, that, that's the way that's, math was math <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, I would be very interested to see if somebody weighs in on that. Okay. Moving along. Um, I'll add that to the eggs in one basket poll. 
<laughs> I'm writing it down now. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um what else? I wrote down this term and I thought I had put a box around it, but it was called decision hygiene. Did you put a box around it by any chance? Is this, are we in chapter four? No, uh, still in chapter three. Uh, decision hygiene, I did not. The only other thing, I did the last sentence again. I think he does it really good with closing statements. Okay. Well, everybody, if I find decision hygiene, I will come back. I don't know why I did not uh, underline it because I wrote it down. So it definitely like, you know, hit me. And um, I just thought it was so fabulous. I was like, ooh, decision hygiene. That sounds so much better than, you know, telling yourself to uh, consciously focus on how many decisions you make so that you don't experience decision fatigue. Like, no, you need to have decision hygiene. <laughs> there we go. Gosh, that may, it just, that, yeah. <laughs> See? Don't you, like, sometimes you just hear, like, the most simple statement, and you're like, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's, you hear like, a complicated statement, and you're like, that makes sense. You're like, oh, sense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, I just want to close out. This is the last thing I want to say. I'm going to turn this over to Nick so he can wrap it up so uh, wonderfully as he does, that at least statements make us feel better, right? So again, at least I ended up with a medal. Um, you know, I, I didn't get the promotion, but at least I wasn't fired. So at least delivers comfort and consolation. If only, by contrast, makes us feel worse. It's if only I'd begun that final chase two seconds earlier, I'd have won a gold medal. Um, so if only delivers discomfort and distress. I just thought that those two things were so interesting. I never really um, looked at them like that. But the author says that in a study, well, in one study. So for scholarly folk, we know that this does not represent um, a very diverse population. We can't generalize with this one. Um, because it hasn't been replicated, but it says in one study, it found that 80% of the confactuals people generate are if only. So that means that in 80% of the people, they are actually in a constant state of regret about their decisions or the way their life is playing out. That is a high number of people in a study. Now, I don't know where the demographic came from, but that is like, oof. yeah. Yeah, so uh, he he closes out for me by saying that at least confactuals preserve our feelings in the moment, but they rarely enhance our decisions or performance in the future. If only uh, if only confactuals degrade our feelings now, but and this is the key, they can improve our lives later. So yeah, we said all of that to circle back around and tell you that it's not totally bad to think in terms of if only. Because through if only, as you experience the pain of defeat, of sorrow, whatever that might be, 
um, that is how you get in touch with your decision making and try to elevate your consciousness and level of awareness. And now we're turning it over to Nick. Very true. However, remember, caveat to that is do not yes. get stuck in the perpetual state of regret. Yes. So, all right. Chapter four? Yeah. No, wait. I thought you had something to close out. You, I feel like you, you pretty much said the same thing he did. Um, regret, regret helps us do better tomorrow. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so if you're going to get a tattoo, don't get no regrets. Get regret helps us do better tomorrow. Was it? I think I actually didn't. I didn't, we didn't uh, talk about make it. Make a note of it, but there was yeah, somebody we didn't talk about it. No regrets. Oh, that's from the movie Where the Millers. Oh, you know, okay. you know saw the movie. I don't think I did. Oh. <laughs> I have to. I'll put that on my to watch list. Okay, yeah, it's like early on in the movie, so if you're not finding it like funny towards, I can just see the part. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. If you if you've never seen it and you're listening, make sure you go look up where the Millers, um, and just look for the tattoo part. It's it is actually pretty funny. I enjoyed that part. Um. Okay, you know what? This is one that I thought was very good. It is from a male who's 52 that lives in South Africa. It says. My deepest regret of my 52 years of life is having lived it fearfully. I have been afraid of failing and looking foolish. And as a result, I did not do so many things that I wish I had done. I feel like that's just so powerful as we conclude chapter three, because his if onlys are just like, bam, bam, bam. At 52, he's, year, he's lived over half of his life in... He's in a constant state of regret. That's just, wow. When I get ready to go out, I want to have as few regrets as possible. I'll say like psychologically though, that's pretty like age appropriate for his development. Like that's the oh, age absolutely. that he's <laughs> So like, yeah, it's, no, it's bad, but then you're like, he's 52. It's like, okay, like you've, you've lived Yeah, yeah, but listen, like my friend Ross, he calls me um, try any one thing Meech because I will try most things one time. Like if if I say, oh, man, it looks interesting. I want to try that. It's a pretty good chance that I'm about to go try it. <laughs> like, you know, the, the skydiving. That was probably oh, the most gosh. recent. Yeah, you know. I'm, just, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Every time, every time somebody brings it up, I'm like, I still haven't gone. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah. Like I, you know what? Yeah. You, and you're so, um, you're so animated and energetic that I feel like your video, that'd probably be a good video. Watch. Because you said that, I'm going to just drop out the plane. I'm going to just be like. Mm -mm. There's no way. No way. No. You, you, okay you don't think it's you? possible? Is that a challenge? It is. Okay. It right. is. Yeah. If you listen, if you jump out the plane and you have no reaction to falling 10, 12,000 feet through the air, I will reimburse you for your flight. Well, I'm sorry. Wait. I will reimburse you for your jump because I don't know where you're going to skydive it. I will reimburse you for the jump. Oh. oh. Yeah. In real time. 
Okay. Yeah. But then I'm not gonna have like a good video to memory. Like have a memory. I'll just have to go again. I'll be like, this jump was yeah. free. <laughs> and, right. And <laughs> this one is my crazy reaction. Yes. So we are putting that on the podcast. If Nick successfully has no reaction to oh, falling out of the plane, I will cover the cost of his jump. <laughs> okay, chapter four. <laughs> All right. What regret makes us better? <laughs> okay, so chapter four, he says, um, don't dodge emotions. Don't wallow in them either. Confront them. Use them as a catalyst for future behavior. If thinking is for doing, feeling can help us think. So, you know, I like that. And did you like the quote that he put in the beginning from Leonard Cohen? Um, there is a crack of crack of everything. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was kind of bland. Yeah. It's kind of bland. It's not like a, a Emily Dickens quote, but um, it says there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I think if you look at that from like a very simplistic viewpoint that, you know, nothing needs to be perfect. And it is through our brokenness that, you know, we are made better. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually, that's all I'm going to do to go into that. I don't want to dig myself too deep into a hole in that point. Because the first thing he says. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of digging a hole. Yeah, <laughs> is when, of commitment. Yeah, when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Done. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what, what Nick actually just brought up, this escalation of commitment, um, the author talks about in terms of like compounding bad choices, right? By continuing to invest time, money, and effort and losing, uh, losing causes instead of stanching or stopping or withdrawing our losses and switching tactics, which we call course correcting. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like that escalation or commitment escalation. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't see what because this one, um, well, I guess the term in and of itself doesn't have any negative or positive connotation, but be careful in what scenario you apply this. Because if you're doing mm-hmm. escalation of commitment in a downward spiral, then it's just going to accelerate the rate at which you're going downward. But mm-hmm. if this is applied to a scenario that is, again, that equation of increasing benefit while reducing risk, then this is probably something that you want to have in that type of scenario. Yes. Because it's like, um, I've already put this much work and effort into this. There's no way I can quit. But then there's some scenarios mm-hmm. where it's like, I put so much effort into this. And then like you put your thinking to it. Like if I put more to it, it's just going to be more of the same. But then it's always that this would leave one of those moments of, is this going to be a situation of regret? So like, did you start over? Did you 
day? Did it work out? Did it not work out? So those types of things. Yeah. So um, on the sidebar, I found decision hygiene. Nick was correct. It was in chapter four. I don't know why I wrote it up under contractual thinking. Um, but I've also already broke it down. So blah. But um, anyway, uh, let's talk about how we can reduce cognitive biases like es escalation of commitment uh, to a failing course of action. And in that, as we talk about decision hygiene, uh, there are three benefits of regret that the author lists. Um, and we'll just take these one at a time. The first one is that regret can improve decisions. Um, so he first talks about this in terms of like the pandemic, right? Because it just happened. It's ongoing. Now there's monkeypox. Um, again, there's a lack of vaccine. Can't get access to it. It's they are working thing. on the vaccines, though. They are. And this is a grotesque, go, grotesque, vicious, communicable disease that is spread through touch, kiss, saliva, any other type of bodily fluids and droplets. Um, research is still, because it's not a sexually transmitted disease, they're still trying to conduct no. research on semen and vaginal fluids, but yeah. it is spread through contact, and it, that can include, like, fabrics as well, so, yeah, because yeah, they've so been trying to stigmatize the gay community, um, yes. but it's, uh, yeah. not an STD, it's just a virus. No. no. It's not an STD. And this is a communicable disease that anybody can get, uh, just like SARS or uh, MRSA, uh, meningitis, any of those things. Um, so just make sure that you're washing your hands and, you know, you're not putting your hands in your mouth or your eyes or your nose or your ears. All those things that we practice during cold and flu season. Um, so, yeah, little tangent, bringing it back in. Uh, he was talking about getting a, a guitar. This was interesting to me because during the pandemic, I did buy an acoustic guitar. <laughs> nice. Yep. And I started practicing. No, I cannot play songs yet. Um, but I am continuously working on improving my skill set so that I can do household karaoke. As a little fun that Nick and I have had ongoing for the last few days. Um, if you know how to sing, don't come. <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, this is this is this is amateur hour at the Apollo. Like, you know, no Jill Scotts, no Nita Bakers, no Luther Vandross, no Ruben Stutter. You know, none of y'all. Y'all just, you know, do y'all's Instagram reels and get y'all's views. This is for the people that need alcohol to sing. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so he's talking about regret and decision making. So basically, in this illustration, the guy buys the guitar for $500. Um, he wants to sell it, right? And his neighbor wants to buy it. He would like to get like $300 for it, but he thinks it's too much. So he suggests maybe $225. Um, they end up settling for $200. And then when the lady hears the $225, she was like, oh, yeah, you know, um, I, I would have paid that, you know? So, I'm sorry. His intention is to settle for 200 but he starts out with 225 and then she accepts it instantly and hands over the money. And so then he is feeling regretful 
uh, about that because he could have probably charged her to 300 and still gotten that or charged her 400 and gotten it. Um, very quick side note, less than 30 seconds. Everything in life is a negotiation. Treat it as such. Um, you always start high and then you work your way down to the number that you actually intend on settling for. That is a little tidbit. That's my financial piece for the day. And do with that what you will. You never start at what you're actually willing to accept. You always shoot higher than that and then stir step down to what you actually want to walk away with. Boom, done. Okay. Um, over to Nick. Hey, look at research shows that regrets. <laughs> <laughs> a look at research shows that regret handling correctly offers three broad benefits uh, decision making skills, elevate our performance, and strengthen our sense of meaning. He uh, introduced us to that in the second chapter. And then I did the quote that regret can emphasize the mistakes we made in arriving at a decision so that should a similar situation arise in the future, we won't make the same mistakes. That's essentially what the regret is there for if you made a decision regretted it then continue that same action it is no longer something to regret it is a choice that is just that you're engaging in uh then i said children's decision making capabilities improve tremendously once they cross the developmental threshold around age seven that allows them mm -hmm. to experience regret this was just a like psychologist in me um around age seven that's when like they get the like the comparative thinking of like self and others for mm -hmm. regret to even start forming so i just was like oh that's cool i need to touch up on my developmental knowledge mm -hmm. for age ranges yes um so I, I thought that, uh, you know, some things that I found here that were good when we talk about improving our decision making is, um, why did I just pass it up? I literally just had it. Ah, here we go. Yes. So, uh, Leaning into regret improves our decision-making process. Um, it says because the stab of negativity slows us down. So then we take more time to collect information. We consider a wider range of options. We take more time to reach a conclusion. And because we step more carefully, we're less likely to fall through cognitive trap doors like confirmation bias. Um, I thought that was really good. And then it says that one of the central findings on regret is that uh, it actually can help deepen your persistence, uh, which almost always elevates performance. So if you know anything about uh, athletes, business leaders, um, business owners, whatever, there is a level of persistence that they have that allows them to uh, push beyond the ordinary limits that most people would give up at. Um, when they're under extreme amounts of stress. Um, oh, number two was that regret can boost performance, which is where that came from. Uh, number three is that regret can deepen meaning. Um, 
I thought this was very interesting. You know, it comes from a place of gratitude. The uh, passage that he puts here is from Abby Henderson. She's a 29-year-old behavioral health researcher. And she says, I regret not taking advantage of spending time with my grandparents as a child. I resented their presence in my home and their desire to connect with me. And now I do anything to get that time back. So through her level of regret, right, her place of awareness, she now understands the importance of family. And if she could go back in time, she would talk to her younger self and have her younger self spend more time and create more memories with her grandparents before they passed away. Um, I think that's a very important aspect of regret. Um, it's just helping to lock in the importance of some of these core beliefs that we sometimes get away from uh, through living. Um, I think that is, that's almost all I have. Um, did you have anything for the chart on page 55? Um, no, I think you definitely did a good job on the boost in performance. Um, we talked about the effect of lingering regret. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. this was kind of mm -hmm. a, this was more of a question I had posed than rather information taken from the novel so it mm -hmm. says the near miss likely prompted regret which spurred reflection which provides strategy which improves performance so this mm -hmm. is the idea that like like we need to feel regret in order to grow right mm -hmm. but cognitively if this is something that we know is it now possible to do the same process while minimizing that negative feeling of regret. So then mm -hmm. it's like, do we actually need that negative feeling or do we just need to utilize the process that usually follows that negative feeling? Mm. I like to use the process that follows the negative feeling because that is my activation energy, right? So I okay. do something, I recognize my regret, and then I'm using that to say, okay, I don't want to feel that way again. Or not even that, like, I don't want to make myself feel that way again. There you, um, go. you know, so yeah, good question, Nate. Good question. Um, and then... Uh, this is like, this goes into like my, my who rah rah, like, we're big, we're mm. all so small. As if okay. a small slice of time was somehow integral to the full story of my life. I think mm. that just goes back to the importance of like, treating moments in life with like, presence, being in the moment, showing up as a version of yourself that you would be proud to be there for yourself and for someone else because mm -hmm. life really is just this collection of little moments um and i've been trying to appreciate those moments more yes yeah uh yeah 
And I think that that speaks to the deeper meaning. That was uh, the third way to utilize regret. Yes. Uh, so to round out this, I will talk to you about um, China and these tea bulbs. So in the 15th century, they had a way to repair pottery, right? And they would sand down the edges of the broken pieces and glue them back together using uh, lacquer mixed with gold, right? Uh, and so the idea was to not reproduce the original work and they didn't even try to conceal any of the flaws from the pottery being broken, um, but they wanted to transform that piece into something better. And so what this artwork or art form became called was Kintsugi. And then, you know, fast forward two centuries, uh, it became a fashionable phenomenon that uh, some people were actually known to purposefully smash their T-bowls to have them embedded with this golden veined repairs. And so that word, Kintsugi, translates to golden joinery, right? And... Uh, it considers the breaks and the subsequent repairs part of the vessel's history and the fundamental elements of its being. And so the bowls aren't beautiful despite the imperfections. They're beautiful because of the imperfections. The cracks make them better. And it says he closes out by saying what's true for ceramics can also be true for people. And what I really took from this and what I hope other people will take from this uh, segment as we close out is that there are things that happen in our human experience um that almost like tear us apart right um there was a song i think it's by matchbox 20 uh, where he's like we're all one phone call away uh from from our knees or something like that i can't really remember the lyrics too much right now but i will find it but um you know, it's like the old adage that good news uh, never has good timing and stuff like that. But as you go through life and you go through these experiences that try to break you, just remember that it's okay to be broken, right? It, it's in our brokenness that we find our strength uh, and that we come out stronger on the other side. And there is duality in your story. So um, you can be the person that was broken. Yes, that is accurate. But you can also be the person that utilize that brokenness or that experience um, to shift your perspective and then help somebody else um, to overcome something. So there's duality in that. And you have to own both sides of the story. So that is all that I have for the first part. Um, Nick, do you have anything else to add? Uh, just I'll just get to the main point of it was that uh, he gave us three possibilities for what feelings are first mm -hmm. one he said feelings are for ignoring as we mm -hmm. remember from the first novel that'll create blocked emotions within your body energetic blocks that could result to physical illness um so don't ignore your feelings uh feeling mm -hmm. is for feeling partially true but then this also leaves room for rumination uh, feelings are for feeling, but you also have to develop the skill of like processing your feelings and doing something with them. So then we get to his last uh, suggestion, which is feeling is for thinking. And I think that really corresponds well to 
just the human body, the mind body connection. Yeah, I love it. That was it. Okay, so everybody, that was uh, the first part of The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward by Daniel H. Pink. Um, if you are just uh, getting on the same page as us with the book club, make sure you order the book so you can be ready to go. We're going to read uh, halfway through part two for next week, which is chapters five, six. Um, hold on. I got it here. Uh, seven and eight. So chapters five through eight, we'll have those read for the next episode. Um as always, we appreciate you for tuning in and giving us your ear. And before we do the live recording, we will put uh, some feelers out there into the universe so everybody can know, you know, that we're going to have our haircuts and our faces will be done up. And, you know, what I'm saying we'll be we'll be ready. We'll be ready. So until then. I'm Coach Latham, and I had such an amazing time with my boy Nick, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at Eyes on Nick. And also, one last thing, don't forget, if you have undergraduate or graduate school papers that are due and you need assistance, um, make sure you hit up Nick. Uh, he is an extremely capable writer. So that is the conclusion of the show today. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>